This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert, caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning, and thank you for sharing this beautiful day with us here on Your Radio Doctor. I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie, and today we're going to learn about allergic reactions to food. Reactions to food are common and can be divided into two categories those that are a true food allergy. Here, the body's immune system has an abnormal reaction to one or more proteins in a food. These can be serious or even life-threatening allergic reactions. Other reactions are not caused by the immune system. These reactions are far more common than food allergies, but just cause unpleasant symptoms like lactose intolerance or food poisoning or acid reflux. Here to shed light on this important topic is Dr. Alana Jones of Nemours AI DuPont Hospital for Children from the Division of Allergy and Immunology. Alana, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So let's begin. So many good topics to cover. What exactly happens during a classic food allergy reaction, Alana? So what happens is that food allergies will begin when there's a type of antibody called IgE in your body that gets made in response to a food protein. And these antibodies will attach themselves to the allergy blood cells in your body. And then when the patient is exposed to that food protein again, it will bind to the IgE antibody and that will trigger a release of chemicals that causes the allergic reaction symptoms. And that usually happens pretty quickly, almost immediately in most people within about 15 to 30 minutes, but it can happen up to a couple hours afterwards for most. Mm -hmm. And so does your body create somewhat of a memory if you have seen peanuts once and you make these antibodies or soldiers that are on guard, and if they see peanuts again, they're gonna react more strongly? Can you predict that the, the next time it'll be a stronger reaction or not? Or It's hard to predict what kind of a reaction you're going to have every exposure because 
Unfortunately, all reactions can vary in severity, but it should be consistent. So if you're allergic to a food, every time you get exposed to that food, you're likely to have a reaction. But again, the severity can change because there's all these variables that go into having an allergic reaction. For example, the amount of food that you eat, that could change the type of reaction you have. Also, if you were sick with an illness and your immune system is fighting that illness, that could lower your threshold to have a reaction. Uh, certain medications or even drinking alcohol, heavy exercise can influence these reactions. And then recently they have some research showing that sleep deprivation can also lower the threshold to have a worse reaction. So again, it's tough to predict that reaction, but food allergies should be consistent with each exposure that some sort of a reaction will happen. Now that's really interesting. I've heard of the variables you've mentioned. Of course, if you have a little taste of something, of course, depending what it is, if you're seriously allergic to shellfish and you have even a taste of shrimp, that could bring on something bigger than, as you say, if it's a quantity-related reaction with maybe peanut butter or something. But I've never heard of sleep deprivation lowering the threshold. That's interesting, good to know, a little scary. Um, so what are the common symptoms uh, a listener might look for? Well, commonly you will start a reaction around the mouth, um, since most mm. of the time that's where the exposure is going to be starting. So the itching around your mouth or even inside of your mouth can take place. Some people will get hives around their mouth and then itching inside of their throat. And then after that, you can go by system. So for example, on your skin, hives, itching, swelling can all be symptoms. GI problems like immediate vomiting, nausea, upset stomach, sometimes even acute diarrhea. Uh, nasal symptoms like repetitive sneezing watery eyes, uh, itchy eyes, and then lung problems like coughing, wheezing, or trouble breathing. And the worst case scenario would be a full body reaction, uh, anaphylaxis, or a life-threatening reaction. So it goes back to what you were saying earlier. A protein in a food that stirs your immune system, and your immune system says, okay, I'm going to make these antibodies called IgA, and then that leads to release of a chemical called histamine, am I right, that causes hives? and itching and swelling, right? That's correct. Histamine is, is one of the many chemicals that do get released during the reaction. Mm -hmm. And so antihistamines might help when you have sniffly nose or, or eyes or whatever, but the whole point you're making is it can decide wherever it wants to go. And if you get, basically, when you think about it, a person gets vomiting or diarrhea, that they have hives in their GI tract, right? When you think about it, or if they're having wheezing or trouble breathing, there are hives in your lungs, the, the lining of your lungs that are making your airways close. So it makes sense when you say all that and, and list them all together like that. Do you think there's been an increase in food allergies in recent years? And if so, why do you think that's the case? Yeah, there, there definitely has been an increase in food allergies. Uh, research shows that over the past few decades. Um, and nobody knows why for sure. We don't really know exactly why, but it seems to be a combination of factors um, that's increased the amount of food allergies. So the, the increase has been attributed to things like processed foods, uh, inadequate vitamin D levels may play a role, um, changing gut permeability, and then probably one of the more common um, 
or, or one of the more likely scenarios is the hygiene hypothesis. And that suggests that as we have decreased the amount of microbes in our environment and the amount of parasites in our environment, just due to washing our hands and, and taking things like antibiotics and generally living in a more sanitary environment, our immune system has less to fight off in terms of infection and starts to react to things that should be harmless, like food proteins. Oh, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Does, now, now, here's something I didn't think we chatted the other day. I didn't think to toss this idea in there. Do you think that um, more children uh, going to daycare plays a role in affecting the immune system of the, that, that gen, the next generations? It may. Um, yeah, day, daycare certainly increases the amount of germs that we're exposed to. And the research mm -hmm. does show the more germs, the less likely you are to become allergic to something. And there was a pretty interesting research study done um, about a decade ago where they took infants who uh, take pacifiers and moms who would put the pacifiers uh, in their own mouths after it would fall on the floor, wash it after it fell on the floor, fell on the floor um, or simply picked it up and put it right back in the kid's mouth. Uh, they studied those parents and they found that the mothers who put the pacifiers right back in their baby's mouths do, do seem to have less allergies. Wow. I remember being at a family party years ago. I was probably six or seven years old, and I had little cousins who were toddlers. And I saw my one little cousin, Chucky, had a lollipop in his hand. And, and uh, the family dog came and looked at the lollipop, and he, the, the child put it right back in his mouth. And his dad, a pediatrician, said, that's okay. The dog's mouth is probably cleaner than ours. So I, I'll have to call cousin Chucky and see how many uh, ear infections he's had through life. <laughs> On that note, let's take a little break. And when we come back, right. let's talk about the questions that you should be ready to answer when you take your child to the allergist. Thanks, Alana. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. And we're back with Dr. Alana Jones from Nemours A.I. DuPont Hospital for Children. We're talking about allergies to food. Alana, when you take your child to the allergist because you think they've had an allergic reaction to uh, peanuts or uh, milk or some particular food, what questions should the mom or dad or caregiver be ready to answer? So we, we want the details. We want to know what happened and definitely bring the pictures also because those things are helpful. So the kind of questions that I like to ask are, what symptoms did you see? And that's where the pictures come in handy because I have had some patients describe uh, hives or call the rash that they got hives, but then the pictures really don't suggest it. So mm -hmm. the pictures are helpful and a description of what the rash looked like rather than naming the rash can be helpful. And also what other symptoms were associated, whether the child had trouble breathing, did they have vomiting, uh, and then I'll want to know what they were doing when the reaction happened, what they were eating and what they were drinking, and specifics of brands uh, or nutrition labels can also be helpful in order to narrow down the trigger food 
Um, it can be helpful also to know the time of the symptoms. When did they start after eating? Are you talking about 15 minutes later or are we talking hours later? And then what did you do about it? What did you do and how did that work? So did you give antihistamines? Did the symptoms go away on their own? Did you have to bring them into the emergency department? All of those things can be helpful in figuring out whether or not this was a food allergy and if so, which food it was. Sure. And I'm, I'm sure you always ask a question a mom or a dad might not think of. How was the food prepared? Um, was it fried in oil? Could that have, have been peanut oil? Um, and, I, and I know the most common, if I'm correct here, the categories of food you look at are milk, eggs, wheat, fish, shellfish, nuts, and uh, tree nuts, and peanuts. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. And soy, I almost forgot soy. I just remember one of the other things that I'd never heard of in my training. My son was about 10. He's a, a, an adult now. And he went to a baseball practice, and uh, they were giving out popsicles, you know, the push pops. And he had a couple push pops, and he was sitting waiting for his turn up at bat and this and that. And he ran the bases, and he broke out in total body rash, a total body rash. And I took him to the allergist who said, exercise it no cold induced exercise induced uh urticaria meaning something in the popsicle triggered and then the activity was another layer i i think that's really interesting and that's what you're talking about did the child have any exercise or what were they doing as well as eating the item that you suspect yeah yeah and yep and that exercise could have been one of those cofactors that i was talking about earlier that could enhance mm -hmm. the uh, allergenicity of some of the foods Mm -hmm. So how do you go about testing for food allergies? I think this is fascinating. Well, there are two main ways to test for food allergies. One is with what we call a skin prick test, and the other is with lab work. So the skin prick test is something that can be done in the allergist's office and typically involves a small skin prick on the back or sometimes on the forearm. Um, and the foods are tested for right on the skin and the result would show a hive or a small bump that looks like a mosquito bite at the site of the scratch test and that may help confirm the allergy. The blood test would be like a regular lab draw that you would go to your lab and get blood work order and what you're looking for there is actually that antibody that we were talking about, IgE, for the specific food. So if you're allergic to peanut, you will have a high level of peanut IgE, or peanut hmm. allergy antibody in your blood. And so those most common foods on the list again, should we go through those? We should because, um, you know, they call them the top eight food allergies. Uh, I think a lot of people are familiar with that phrase. And the top eight, comprises over 90% of the food allergies in this country. And these do vary between countries, but when you're talking about the United States, you're talking about the top eight being milk, egg, soy, wheat, peanut, tree nuts, fish, and shellfish. And I should also point out that number nine on the list is sesame. That's also a fairly common allergen. And mm -hmm. these top eight allergens by law in this country will be labeled on the nutrition facts either in bold or separately at the bottom. So thankfully, since those are the most common foods to be allergic to, they should be easily identified on labels of food.
And I know you said that there's legislation underway or people, uh, especially allergists, are hoping that legislation will be passed that includes sesame on labels. How about legislation for the cost of EpiPens? Was it how many years ago did the uh, the monopoly on EpiPen prices jump? Two or three years ago? I just remember hearing, oh, my gosh, I want oh, to mortgage my house to keep my son carrying his EpiPens. What do people do? Yeah, it's pretty insane. Um, thankfully, there's been a lot of new generic EpiPens available. I would say some of them are easier to use than others, but even the brand EpiPen that most people are familiar with came out with mm-hmm. their own generic, although mm-hmm. I don't find the price to be reasonable for Much most Much kinder, people. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know you always, uh, you know, I think it's important to take a moment now, two things. Number one, the distinction between peanuts and tree nuts. And I have to be honest, I never really thought about it till my son developed allergies to macadamia nuts or until we first noticed it when he was about six. And um, I never gave it much thought. I just figured it was all nuts. But for our listeners, peanuts are a ground uh, produce, I guess. <laughs> uh, they're legumes. Yeah, they're a legume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, tree nuts are all the others. So a child might be seriously allergic to peanuts, but be able to tolerate other nuts, and um, and sesame too. That's that's really interesting. So let's talk about an elimination diet. If you look at the the top eight or even nine, and say, okay, uh, how do you advise a mom to eliminate, take milk out for say two weeks and gradually reintroduce it? Or how do you go about an elimination diet? Because it's so logical and sensible, but I'm sure it's quite tedious. Well, I think it's important to figure out your allergy trigger because if you know which one it is through the history um, given to your allergist and the allergist diagnosis, then you can just avoid that specific food. And really, you should not be introducing your food allergen back into your diet unless you were told to by your allergist. Mm -hmm. Um, So elimination diet means strict elimination of that food allergen. So even a small amount could set off that severe reaction. So you're going to want to do things like label reading, always asking about the ingredients in foods in order to properly eliminate that food from your diet. So if you decided to eliminate milk, for instance, um, and the child does better, do you experiment and eliminate other food products as well? Or do you say, whew, we figured it out. How do you go about deciding if there's more than one element involved? Well, that's a bit of a tough situation because I think for the large majority of my food allergic patients, the trigger is usually pretty obvious because it would Mm. be the first, second, or third exposure to the food and the symptoms are going to be fairly immediate. Now, there are circumstances where, you know, it's hard to identify the food allergen and you might have to uh, eliminate multiple foods, but I would say that's pretty uncommon and should be done, again, under the guidance of your allergist. Yeah, same with if you were to do a food challenge, um, it would be in the doctor's office, either at an allergy um, office or a hospital where we'd be ready to treat with uh, the right medication. So in terms of management, let's go back. Reading labels is so essential. Um, and, and the nice thing is now with the Internet, it makes it a little bit easier. And, of course, if you prepare food at home, you know all the, the components. But it's so important uh, if your child's in daycare and later when they go on to school to tell the people that, that, that your child is spending his or her day with, 
here are my child's allergies, here's the medication, it's labeled, label everything for the school nurse as well. And we talked the other day about um, restaurant eating and how do you make that safer. And you can walk in and say, you know what, if the waiter or waitress asks for your order, I'm allergic to peanuts. And tell me the story, you tell us the listeners the story you told me the other day about what that, what else that includes. That's right. So you do have to be pretty specific, even if the food that you're ordering does not contain your allergen or you don't think it does, because you want the chef or the cook to be avoiding cross-contamination, but also, um, you know, you have to be explicit because not everybody is as familiar with food allergies as you may be, the parent or the patient with food allergies. So, for example, uh, I, I do recall a story where a patient told me that they asked whether or not a brownie ha had peanuts in it because they were peanut allergic, and they said no. The patient ate the brownie and had an allergic reaction. And then when they asked again, they said, oh, well, they, it did have peanut butter. Mm -hmm. And so right there you have to realize that not everybody thinks about food allergies the same way that we do. Wow. That's a really, that's a good take-home message. Let's take a little break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Alana Jones. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. I'm so pleased to share the company of Dr. Alana Jones from Nemours AI DuPont. And we're talking about allergic reactions to food and we're learning so much. Alana, let's talk a little bit more about management. And one of the things that a mom would ask, when do I use Benadryl and depend on that? And when should I go right to an EpiPen and inject my child? Sure, so this is something that everybody should discuss in, uh, uh, excuse me, ahead of time with their allergist and also get what they call an allergy action plan that's going to spell everything out for you, when to use the Benadryl, when to use the EpiPen. And that action plan should really be kept in the home by the caregivers, but also in that child's daycare or school. So whoever is taking care of that child can be aware of the possible signs and symptoms of an allergic reaction. And then to answer your question, if the symptoms are mild, you can go ahead and give an antihistamine like Benadryl. Really what that's doing is making the hives feel better, making the itching feel better. It is not meant to stop a life-threatening allergic reaction like anaphylaxis. So if you're having multiple organ systems involved, like if the child has hives and they're vomiting, that's a sign that the reaction may be spreading throughout their body, and you would just want to stop the reaction with the epinephrine auto-injector rather than just giving Benadryl. You um, always want to call 911 after an EpiPen is given, and the reason is not that the EpiPen is doing something harmful to you or the child. It's that if your reaction is so severe that you need epinephrine, you probably need like a team of doctors, a nurse, somebody to take your vital signs in order to manage that child's symptoms. Um, and again, I would recommend calling 911 rather than driving to the hospital under most circumstances because to drive and to be the doctor and to be the parent is just too much and it's not safe. So those Absolutely. are my recommendations for emergency situations. Yes. 
having lived through it myself more than once, and we always like to emphasize too, if I didn't say this earlier, double EpiPen, because you go to use the first one, it might be defective, you have a backup, or you've used an EpiPen and you're stuck in traffic and the child or the, the person having the allergic reaction has a rebound effect if you don't get uh, to the hospital on time. So they're very good points. And I think I, I liked what you said about taking photographs. When my children were little, we didn't have cell phones with photographs. And, and so if you can take a picture of the rash before it fades, that one picture, a thousand words, Good idea to keep a food diary too. Um, hopefully these reactions don't happen often, but if they do, it's a whole lot easier to remember the date and, and the uh, circumstances around it. And I remember walking through a department store one time and they were, at, they were giving out samples and, oh, try this lipstick that has macadamia oil in it. I thought, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? <laughs> in today's day and age, why would we put any kind of nut oil into cosmetics? But we, we should be aware of that, right? And sometimes children's crafts can have allergens in, in them as well, right? Yeah, that's true. I have had patients come in before after making birdhouses um, and peanut butter was used as like the glue on the birdhouse. And that was the first sign that the child had an allergic reaction to peanuts. So you definitely want to be careful with that. Uh, also, many people will know uh, that Play-Doh uh, sometimes can contain allergens like wheat. How about that? Well, I know too, uh, as my son got older, I have two sons with allergies, I said, make sure that you tell your date that not to eat the nuts at the party before you kiss her goodnight because, you know, it can be transferred in saliva and sharing utensils. You don't want to share somebody else's fork or drink out of their cup. So where else might contamination occur, Alana? Because there's so many really basic things that if we share with people, they'll, 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 I think they'll employ the, your advice. Uh, so cross-contamination can certainly happen at restaurants, which again is why you always want to tell waitstaff about your allergen. Um, but then it can happen at home. So to, to kind of jump onto what you said about kissing, even parents kissing their kids, um, that can cause reactions because while you might not think of yourself as a messy eater, generally people do lick their lips after eating and that contact can cause contact reactions on your child after kisses. I see that a lot for fathers with beards. Um, beards seem to be like oh. little food trappers. Um, oh. and can certainly cause reactions. But the only good news about that is that generally, if the child is not ingesting the food, it's very unlikely to cause a severe reaction. Usually those are contact reactions and you can wash them away rather than use antihistamines. So while mm -hmm. that's a site of cross-contamination, it's a little bit less of a worry than uh, cross-contaminating your food or your utensils. Uh, I should also point out that when you are handling the food allergens. In order to get rid of that allergen on your hand, you do need to use soap and water. Those alcohol-based sanitizers are just not too helpful in getting rid of the food protein. And the same for cleaning up tables um, or other food areas uh, like picnic tables. You really can't just wipe that down with a rag. You'll want to use something uh, that's actually meant to clean and disinfect. And that's so important to emphasize in this age now that we're all so used to using the, uh, the antibacterial gels or the, the alcohol-based uh, products that are out there with COVID. And uh, it's a good 
habit that we're forming, but not not adequate, as you say, for for allergens. And exposure can be, as you say, other than eating. Maybe um, if somebody has an allergy that with just skin contact, if they touch a certain food, and aerosolized. If you're boiling a food, frying it, grating or grinding, and little flecks go into the air. I remember the very first time I was on call as an intern. Uh, we got a call, or sorry, as a, as a new attending, I was a big girl, I was a real doctor, and a patient mm-hmm. called and said that they were um, eating and that the person, they, they had an allergic reaction to NutraSweet, and I thought, NutraSweet? And here she meant she was sitting next to someone who opened the packet and some of the NutraSweet flew into the air and she inhaled it and total rash. So, oh my goodness. you know, she inhaled it and that was... So anyhow, I know you do a lot of public speaking, and I would love to hear what you think are the, the most typical myths that you like to clear up uh, for, for your listeners in, re- in regard to allergies. Uh, yeah, thank you. So some of the common myths that I see um, on a day-to-day basis would be Uh, the confusion between food allergy and food sensitivity. And I think you did a beautiful job explaining this earlier, Uh, but it's important to distinguish that food allergies are not the same as food sensitivities. So while they do have some tests that are available over the counter, marketing, looking for things that could be a food sensitivity causing your uh, vague GI symptoms or headaches, that is really not the same as a food allergy. Um, And I would recommend strongly that people go to their board-certified allergist in order to get the proper allergy testing, because while the testing is good, it is not perfect. And I have certainly seen people where um, their tests were ordered inappropriately, and that can lead to unnecessary worry. Um, As you mentioned, the cost of EpiPens is is sky high, so you can have an increased medical cost. Um, And I have even seen a, a a small child have trouble gaining weight because they were avoiding so many foods that were tested for unnecessarily and the results were actually false positives. Um, So I think that is one of the myths that I see, that food sensitivities are the same as allergies. And then another myth that I uh, would like to bring up is the association between shellfish and iodine or contrast dye. This is something that's been around for almost 50 years um, and really does not have any evidence behind it. So if you are allergic to shellfish, that really does not increase your chance to be allergic to contrast dye, and it's also not because of iodine in the shellfish. The allergen in shellfish is tropomycin, which is not iodine. Uh, so that's one of the other myths that I see on a day-to-day basis. You probably see it a lot, too, in your field. Very interesting. Well, and so much of our advice is similar because I see so many people with celiac and gluten, again, is a protein in wheat, barley, and rye, and it's not going to cause an acute life-threatening reaction, but on a chronic basis, it can really cause um, your body's inability to absorb other vitamins. And like you say, people lose weight and um, all those cross-contamination suggestions that you make apply to gluten as well. Now, if a a pregnant woman has a child already and that child is allergic to nuts or milk or something, should the pregnant mom avoid that food product during her pregnancy to protect the uh, developing baby or just go ahead and expose the developing baby? Yeah, there really is no research or evidence to suggest that avoiding the food is going to be helpful in any way. So the recommendation would be eat the food, 
Eat the food that you want that keeps you happy and healthy because it is not going to impact the fetus um, one way or another for the food allergies. And then once your child is born, is there a good time to introduce foods to the baby? It used to be not too early, not too late, four to six months, at least for celiac. That's all gone by the wayside too. Yeah, all the newer research suggests sooner rather than later, particularly for the high-risk babies. So if there is a patient whose uh, mom has a new baby coming, that new baby would be at higher risk for allergies because of their atopic or allergic sibling. So those kids, you would want to try to get the food in as soon as possible rather than delaying. Very interesting. Let's take a little break and we'll be back for our wrap-up with Dr. Alana Jones. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented in part by Recovery Centers of America. When needed, call RCA 1-888-RECOVERY. Welcome back to our final segment with Dr. Alana Jones. Alana, we've learned so much about allergic reactions to food. What are the final take-home messages that you want to share with our listeners? Well, I would really like to mention that uh, introducing these high-risk foods early for those at higher risk for allergies is very important. So in the past, the American Academy of Pediatrics, along with the allergy societies, had recommended avoiding high-risk foods for several years, but all of the newer research shows sooner the better. So specifically, if you have a baby who has atopic dermatitis or allergic eczema, uh, that baby should be seen by an allergist soon, sooner rather than later, because the goal is to get some of these high-risk foods into that baby's diet under allergists supervision around the age of six months. So my recommendation would be if your baby has atopic dermatitis, please contact your pediatrician and ask for an allergy referral to see whether or not that baby needs testing and possible introduction of high-risk allergy foods. And I would guess the partner advice you would give is to take advantage of seeing the nutritionist that the allergist would recommend because there are nuances to these diets and, and steps you can take that can protect your baby, can protect your child from life-threatening reactions, right? Absolutely. I do think that a registered dietitian uh, consultation is warranted in almost anybody who has a significant food allergy. And there is research to show that uh, children, even who avoid just milk, can have nutritional deficiencies. So I do think that's an important key in keeping your child healthy. Oh, sure. And I, again, you mentioned earlier that being deficient in vitamin D um, bumps your risk for or lowers your threshold for uh, allergic reactions. So right there, if you eliminate milk and it's not necessary, you're really depriving your child of uh, very important nutrients. Um, if you were to refer our listeners to a website so they could read a little bit more or maybe hear some of the things you've said again, where would you send them? I think the Kids Health website has a lot of great information that is written and reviewed by physicians. Uh, so it's www.kidshealth.org. Kids Health, that's kid plural, K-I-D-S health.org, written by physicians at Nemours AI DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington, Delaware. Dr. Lana Jones, we've learned so much from you today. Um, I 
one last question, if I may. Do children with food allergies, are they more likely to have allergies to pets? They are at higher risk for other types of environmental allergies, such as pollen or pet dander. Well, we're going to have to have you back and review those topics as well. Thank you so much, Alana. You are welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. And now for your real champion. I call this segment, A Pocket Full of Miracles. Diane and Mark McNaughton, a happy couple with two children from the Harrisburg area. It was 1993. They celebrated Father's Day in a very special way when they welcomed another beautiful little baby. While she was expecting, her doctor thought Diane's belly looked small. She wasn't concerned because she didn't notice any difference from her other pregnancies. But an ultrasound at eight months raised concern about a possible hydrocephalus or water on the baby's brain. She delivered the baby at University of Penn so he could be transferred to CHOP if needed. When he arrived, Diane said he looked absolutely perfect, but on day two, an MRI confirmed the doctor's suspicion, and by day four, he had surgery and a shunt was inserted to keep fluid from building up in his little brain. They named him Christian Matthew, Christian because their prayers were answered when they were given this little miracle baby, and Matthew means gift from God. Diane watched him defy every odd and amaze experts as he grew into a bright, energetic child with a heart of gold. This four-year-old sports fan loved baseball, so when he brought his home team together, he became Cal Ripken, his favorite, and his mom became Raphael Palmero. With Christian at bat, you could always count on a home run. Some of his happiest moments were spent at St. Catherine Labore Preschool. In his four short years, Christian brought joy to the lives of everyone he touched. As his fight with hydrocephalus became overwhelming, he spent his final days in intensive care. A continuous stream of family, friends, even strangers came to sing, read him stories, and even pray over him. And when the hospital chaplain said the Lord's Prayer, his little eyes opened one more time as if he saved that last effort for his family's final goodbye. His last miracle came when Christian donated his liver, kidney, and heart valves so others could live on through his help. His big brother Mark was so involved, he became a doctor. The McNaughton family has kept Christian's memory alive and continues to make miracles happen through the Christian McNaughton Endowment Fund for St. Catherine Labore School. They've raised over $200,000 to purchase computers, TVs, gym and playground equipment, lighting and sound systems, and other tools to enhance learning, as well as scholarships for other children. All too often, we hear of a tragedy that takes the life of a small child. Here's a mother who didn't turn to God and say, why me? Instead, she thanked God for the time she did have with her little shining star. And as memory lives on in the lives of other young people who also come to realize that God's greatest and most enduring gifts are life and love. We salute you, Diane McNaughton, your real champion. My friends, I'd like to take a moment and thank you for listening every week. The goal of our show is to review a medical topic each week in clear language so you'll have a better understanding of a disease or condition, become less frightened and more engaged, take better care of yourself, and make better decisions for yourself and loved ones. When COVID struck, I started closing each show with a real champion, a person who's overcome a great challenge or who's doing great work in the community. This has become a big favorite for many listeners. This is a time in our nation's history when we're all feeling unsettled, 
COVID brought fear of getting sick, losing your job, being separated from family, then the civil unrest with polarized opinions and now cyber threats. Let these beautiful stories be a source of comfort to you. I wish you all could speak directly to people like Diane McNaughton, a woman of grace, a woman who was faced with deep sadness but found a way to turn her loss into joy for others. This is what America is all about. It's the Diane McNaughtons who should get your attention and maybe encourage you to get involved in helping the champions who are shedding the light at this time of darkness. Thanks for listening each week. Send us a story of a real champion from your world. Listen to all our shows on yourradiodoctor.net and find some comfort for the next two hours with Sid Mark and the Sounds of Sinatra. This is Your Radio Doctor, reminding you as always that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.